the word of God where it says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I just wanted to note, uh, too, before I begin, I wrote in the leaflet today about the situation in Iraq. I was talking to Mark uh, Barry from the Bible Society yesterday, and he told me that for $40, uh, you can support a family of five people for one month for food food and hygiene and everything, uh, which is an extraordinarily small amount of money. So... Can I just encourage you uh, to check out that website that I've noted in the leaflet? And um, I reckon Phil would know a bit more, Phil Clifford would know a bit more about that too. You might like to talk to him afterwards as well. Well, uh, on the 8th of April in 2003, three cars approached an intersection in Iraq during a firefight. After several warnings uh, coming from the US Marine Forces who were involved in the firefight, after several warnings for those cars to stop and to turn around, the troops opened fire and they uh, killed three civilians and injured a young woman. Almost a decade later, one of the soldiers who was involved in that firefight was unable to live with what he'd done what he'd been involved in, and he sought out the family to try and make amends for what had happened. The story was written up in the New Yorker magazine under the title Atonement. In 2002, Ian McEwan wrote a book that was eventually made into a film called Atonement. It's not the most edifying film, but its themes show that the desire for atonement lies at the heart of humanity and the idea of atonement is part of the fabric of our world. It's a story of a little girl who, when she's 13 years old, successfully kind of contrives to split up the romance of her older sister. Her sister's boyfriend is sent to jail as a result of her schemes And he's eventually sent to the Second World War as well. And that little girl spends the rest of her life trying to atone for her crimes. First, she tries to atone for her crimes by working as a nurse in a field hospital. 
And when that doesn't work, she tries to write a novel in which she almost tries to rewrite history the way it ought to have turned out. She tries to unwrite what had happened. You see, although atonement is a biblical word, it's actually a word which is everywhere in our society and in our world. It's a familiar word because for so many people, our our fundamental longing is for our past to be dealt with, for our past to be unwritten and undone. Well, that's what the world says about atonement, but what does the Bible say? Are the ideas in that New Yorker magazine article, are the ideas in Ian McEwan's novel the same as the ideas that the Bible presents about atonement and the means of atonement? What atonement is? What does the Bible say? What does it say about atonement? How does... How is atonement achieved and how does the death of Jesus bring atonement about? Well, in the passage that Ben read from Romans chapter 3, Paul explicitly says that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. And he goes on in the second half of verse 25 to explain why he did that and what it achieved. So Paul says in Romans 325, God presented him, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement to show his justice because he'd left sins beforehand unpunished. All through the Old Testament, to some extent, sin had gone unpunished. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. On the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. But they didn't die, did they? Not yet. Think of King David. One day when he was out on his palace balcony, he noticed the beautiful Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. Not the best place to bathe uh, unless you're trying to catch the eye of the king. David decided that it would be quite nice to have an affair with Bathsheba and so he did. While her husband was away fighting David's battles, David carried on his affair and when her husband, when Bathsheba's husband Uriah returned home from the battlefront, things got a bit messy and so David, when he looked like being found out, contrived to have Uriah murdered by sending him back to the war. David's sex scandals and plots make the sex scandals and plots of our political system seem a bit ordinary. A bit run-of-the-mill. But listen to the words that David wrote in Psalm 32. 
Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. A woman who was not David's wife was pregnant. Her husband was dead because of his machinations. How could God forgive David? How could he let that go? How could he let David live? How could God let the sin go unpunished? The answer that Paul gives is because God let it go in his forbearance, in his patience. God was waiting to punish David's sin in Jesus Christ. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate his justice because in his patience he'd postponed dealing with sin. That situation couldn't go on forever. God couldn't just say, well, we won't worry about it. So God punished in Jesus all the sins of those people who put their trust in Jesus Christ. God's condemnation of sin in Jesus changes everything. In modern parlance, in the modern way of speaking about atonement, atonement often means little more than forgiveness. People want to be forgiven for the past. That's what that soldier wanted. He wanted to be forgiven. But forgiveness without atonement doesn't deal with the past. It doesn't deal with the reality of what's happened. See, how do you know that that person won't change their mind? You sin against someone and you say, well, look, I'm sorry for what I did. And they say, I forgive you. How do you know that in 30 years' time they won't say, well, look, I know I said that I forgave you, but, you know, honestly, I'm still carrying that bitterness. You destroyed my marriage and my marriage is still destroyed. I'm sorry. I might have said that, but you're not forgiven. How do we know that they won't unforgive us in the future? You see, there can't truly be any forgiveness, any lasting forgiveness, any sure forgiveness, unless there's some kind of justice as well. Asking for forgiveness doesn't make atonement. Rewriting history in a novel doesn't make atonement either. I can't help but wonder whether uh, Christians have actually helped to contribute to robbing Jesus' atoning death of its value. See, whenever there's a horrible crime committed against a Christian, it's not unusual for it to come out in the media that the Christian person who's been wronged, they come out and they say, well, look, I've forgiven that person for what they've done. So a missionary might be killed, these things have happened, a missionary might be killed by militants and a Christian friend or a family member comes out and says, we forgive them. But in a very real sense, they can't be forgiven without justice. We would do better, they would be much less popular, I think, to say, this injustice will be punished, either in Christ or in eternity. After all, we're not, can, are we more generous than God? 
that we forgive them and that God won't? No, there's only forgiveness in atonement, you see. There can't be forgiveness without atonement. And there's no atonement without Christ. God calls on us to leave room for his wrath. And that wrath is expressed either in eternal judgment or in the mercy of the cross. On the cross, God has dealt with the past sin of all those who trust in him. There can't be any unforgiving because it's been done. It's been paid by Jesus and it can't be unpaid. So God pays all the debt of our sin in Jesus Christ and he pays pays for the sin left unpunished. He also pays for all of it, I should say. So sometimes we live, I think, as Christians as though Jesus has paid most of the debt and then there's this kind of this little bit left over. Like, you know, you kind of, Jesus pours in most of the water into the glass and then you just have to kind of top it up just a bit uh, to get all the way. So people try and make up the difference by atoning for sin themselves. And the radical way that people try and make atonement knows no bounds. Some people starve themselves. Some people hit themselves. Some people cut themselves. Some people cut themselves off from society. Live in caves. Live as far away as they can from other people. Some people try and feel as guilty as they possibly can. They make themselves wallow in misery because they believe that that's what God needs for sin to be punished. But God, Paul says, put Jesus forward as a sacrifice of atonement to punish sin, all the sin, every last bit of it. And when we say, no, I have to do this last little bit, we dishonour Christ. When we say, no, if I, if, if I accept the atonement of Jesus and move on with my life without punishing myself, then I dishonour Jesus. No. We dishonour Jesus by not accepting his atonement. We dishonour Jesus by punishing ourselves and not moving on with our lives. No, God has put Jesus forward as a sacrifice of atonement to deal with sin once and for all, to deal with all our sin. That doesn't mean that we don't suffer the consequences of our sin in this life. God has dealt with sin, but we still suffer its effects here and now. If you have an affair and it destroys your marriage, you and your spouse and your children will live with the consequences of that for the rest of, this, for the rest of your life, for the rest of their lives. If you steal from your employer and you're convicted and you're sent to jail, you'll live with the criminal record for the rest of your life. That can't be undone, this side of eternity. God forgave David, yes, but his son still died. His family went to ruins. And the kingdom was eventually split in two in a generation's time. But David also entered glory and is awaiting with Jesus the restoration of all things. If we are in Christ, whatever consequences we have to suffer now will not carry over into eternity. 
because Jesus has paid for all of our sins and there's nothing left over to be paid. So what do we know about atonement from the Bible? Well, we know, first of all then, that in Jesus' atoning death on the cross, God has punished sin, sin that was left unpunished. But second of all, in Jesus' atoning death on the cross, God has defeated Satan. So turn with me to Colossians uh, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says there, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul says that the cross, that in the cross, God disarmed the powers and authorities. That is, the evil powers, everything that stands against God, God has disarmed and God has made a public spectacle of them. I can't help but think of uh, one of those B-grade Bugs Bunny cartoons. Uh, you know, there's Satan and his powers and authorities. They're holding us at gunpoint. We're cornered, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. And they shoot at us, they shoot their guns at us and all that comes out is the little flag that says, bang. You see, it looks threatening, doesn't it? That's what, that, that's what Paul's saying. It looks threatening. It looks as though Satan has us cornered. He has us held at gunpoint. And yet when he goes to strike, Paul says... It turns out that God has disarmed him and made a public spectacle of him. How has he done that? He's he's done that by disarming them, by cancelling the written code, by nailing it to the cross, by nailing to the cross everything that stood against us. In Revelation, Satan is called the great accuser. That's his power, that's his armament. He accuses us of that long list of sins that we've committed. But the Bible says that God's taken those and nailed them to the cross. There's a great illustration of that in Zechariah chapter 3. The high priest Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan's there standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. And I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. Satan stands there to accuse him. Look at him, he's filthy. And God says, 
Take away those filthy garments and put on these clean ones instead. Satan stands to accuse us. And so often we believe the accusations. We live as though Satan holds the loaded gun and not a cartoon fake. How will God accept you when you've done that? He whispers to us. How can God love you when you have those thoughts in your head? How can you ever think that God will forget what you did all those years ago? How can you think that God won't care? It can be the smallest thing, can't it? You stole something from someone 20 years ago. I stole a magnet. Stole a magnet from a kid in primary school. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. And sometimes those small things can feel like a millstone dragging you to the bottom of the sea, can't they? It's amazing, isn't it? It's not the heavy things sometimes, but the small things. A word spoken hastily. A conversation from 10 years ago. Satan stands with all his friends. He stands with the written code and a great long list of accusations. But Jesus says, I've nailed those to the tree. God has overcome them. God has disarmed Satan and made a public spectacle of him. Well, Jesus' atoning death on the cross, in Jesus' atoning death on the cross, God punished our sin, first of all. Secondly, in Jesus' atoning death on the cross, he has defeated Satan. And last, Jesus' atoning death has brought peace between God and us. The basic meaning of atonement is at one moment. It comes from uh, an, old, uh, uh, an old expression which uh, means to make unity, to bring unity between something. And the idea of atonement, the idea of sacrifice is that it brings unity between us and God, reconciliation between us and God. And if you flick back a page to Colossians chapter 1, there are in that first chapter some of the most beautiful words that are, that are written to describe the effect of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, of Jesus' atoning death. So in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul writes to the Colossians, For God was pleased... To have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, 
without blemish and free from accusation. Peace in the Bible rarely just means a feeling of peace. That's certainly part of it. That's there eventually, if you like. But it's much richer than just a feeling. Peace in the Bible is the return of things to how they're meant to be. It's the return of creation to the purposes of God. It's the return of creation to being under the rule of God. It's the defeat of God's enemies. It's the restoration of our relationship with the God who made us. It's the restoration of our human relationships that have all broken down. It's the end of war and sin and evil, both in the world and in us. When people talk about atonement, the question they ask is, Can the world ever be the same again? Can the world ever be put right? Can we start over? Can we live as though it it never happened? Can the wars which we fought be undone? Can the people who've been slaughtered be raised to life? Can it be turned back? Can the people who've been hurt by our lies and our stupidity and our greed, can, can that be undone? Can the pain be taken away? Can the relationships that we've destroyed be patched up? Most crucially of all, can our relationship with the God who made us and who loves us, can that be made good again? Can we walk in the garden? Can we ever walk with God? As Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, Or is God forever destined to be out of sight, beyond our grasp? Can we unwrite history? Tolkien nails it in The Lord of the Rings. After the ring has been cast into Mount Doom and Sauron has been destroyed... Sam asks, is everything sad going to become untrue? That's the great hope, isn't it? Or C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe with his customary poetic vision after after Aslan's death. He writes that death itself would start working backwards. Can we unwrite history? Fantasy stories like uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and The Lord of the Rings, though they're just stories, they reveal an inner longing. A couple of years ago, uh, a guy named Andrew Moody wrote in the City Morning Herald an article about the work of Tolkien and Lewis. And he wrote this. He said, Fantasy stories and fantasy speak to the condition of humans separated from God and from other parts of the created order. Elves and talking animals console humans in their self-wrought alienation from heavenly realms. Magic interrupts the sad patterns and necessities of mortal life 
with a joyful glimmer that there might still be an intervention from beyond this world, a happy ending. See what he's saying? Saying all these fiction stories, all these magic stories, all these fantasy novels that people write and make up, they're not just flings of the imagination. They express our deep inner longing, a joyful glimmer that there might still be an intervention from beyond this world. The cross is not another fairy tale. It's not a work of fiction. It happened in history. The God who made us was pleased to enter our world in Jesus Christ and to make peace through the cross. It's a strange juxtaposition, isn't it? To put peace and reconciliation hand in glove with a bloody crucifixion. How can death, a gruesome death, bring peace? The Bible says because peace is anchored in justice and victory. Jesus' death was not just an act of love. It was God's demonstrating his justice, exhausting in Jesus the punishment meant for us. And Jesus' death was not just a work of reconciliation. It was the defeat of Satan and the defeat of sin and the defeat of death and the defeat of judgment. It was a bloody war fought on a cross in our place and for our salvation. Prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified, summarising in the best way possible the meaning of the atonement. He wrote, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your extravagant kindness and patience and forbearance. That in your love you did not wipe out human beings for rebelling against you. But that you patiently endured. That you let sin go unpunished. until Jesus came and offered his body as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. Lord, we thank you that in him justice has been met through faith in his blood and that those of us who trust in his death are right with you, forgiven, set free, Lord, we thank you that in Jesus, Satan has been disarmed and peace has been restored between us and you. And Lord, we long for that day when that peace 
spreads throughout the whole world and the whole universe. When Christ returns, death is destroyed. Satan is done away with forever. Sin is made no more. Lord, hasten that day, we ask. For Jesus' sake, amen.